This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. I'm Matt Pegas, and I'm here with Dan Baltic. It's Dan Baltic. <laughs> and uh, today we have an episode titled uh, The Manosphere to Literature Pipeline, and we're going to be discussing the blog of Chateau Hartiste, uh, famous, perhaps infamous, Manosphere blogger. Uh, his blog ran, I uh, I wish I had the exact dates in front of me, but it, some somewhere in the realm of 2008 to... The prime was about 2008 to 2012, and it persisted for years afterward. I think it was maybe taken down in 2018, 2019, uh, after it got more controversial, which we'll get into. Um, but we read the blog uh, via a book that we bought from Amazon uh, called Hartiste on Game, which pretty much... A mere a comp- 400 pages long. A mere 420-page <laughs> compendium of the best of Hartiste, the stuff on which he cut his teeth, uh, you know, pickup advice, basically, but also a broader philosophical vision of men and women and society, uh, which had much further-reaching implications, and I think that's kind of our theme for the day, is what those further implications ended up being, uh, the various pipelines extending from uh, the Manosphere. So, yeah, it's uh, the Manosphere. I mean, Hartiste is probably, in my opinion, the best writer among those who, well, I mean, like among those who wrote about game, it's not a very, uh, you know, deep um, roster of like excellent writers. I mean, there are a lot of writers emerged from that who were very good. But among those who are actually writing seduction techniques, you know, like, Hartiste is kind of like the Da Vinci or the <laughs> Hemingway of writing about game and seduction. And so that's why we chose Hartiste to examine Manosphere foundations and what it eventually became. But I think it's important for us to drill down on what the Manosphere was and what, you know, how it started and where it uh, it went. Mm-hmm. And Hartiste is a part of that, but it's, it's something, um, well, I, I'll just, you know, explain. So like in the late 2000s, like 2006, 2007, into like the 2010s, there, um, I mean, a lot of you probably already know this, but there's a lot of uh, 
literature out there from the pickup artist community telling men how to um, pick up women in bars and, and on the street and, and such and, and breaking it down with a sort of scientific precision and applying indeed like human biology and mm -hmm. um, stuff <clears throat> like actual at that time and still controversial scientific um, application of biology to human nature. And, you know, it, it took off because men need to get laid and it was useful. And that then grew into other stuff. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. My, my impression with pickup artistry, so to speak, is that it started uh, 80s, 90s in sort of the realm of... Um... Some of it was probably true, so this isn't to necessarily denigrate it. But it started in the realm of people who would hold conferences. It still is somewhat the realm of people who hold conferences in Las Vegas and such. And sort of like uh, pay-per-view TV and almost like infomercial, order my 20-part tape series self-help world. It's My impression is it sort of emerged as an edgier aspect of that. Encapsulated, uh, perhaps best of all, on film by Tom Cruise in the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, magnolia which is highly recommended but absolutely basically my impression is that it started in that world and then <clears throat> around about 2003-2004 uh neil strauss wrote his book uh the game which is kind of a work of gonzo journalism more so than a game uh you know almanac in its own right but nevertheless that that kind of helped it find a larger audience and then also with the advent of the quote-unquote blogosphere um, the manosphere was soon to follow, and so by 2007, 2008, you're getting blogs like Chateau Hartiste, which are taking the basic game advice from uh, the older, you know, pick a PUA 1.0, shall we call it, um, and beginning to turn it into much more of it, at least in Chateau Hartiste's case, or Royce in DC, you know, however you want. The, the, the protagonist of this uh, yeah. blog, uh, he goes by both names. But people mostly call him Hartiste now, so I think that's what we'll do on this podcast. Anyhow, he, he definitely started to elevate it to an art, both in terms of having the best pickup advice, but also touching on these, you know, manosphere pipeline to other things, be them political or literary, uh, which I think we'll get into now. Um, he, he kind of was the ground zero for taking what started as a you know, something edgy, but in the family of self-help and moving it towards, uh, you know, life, a certain lifestyle advice. Uh, but more than that, a way of being in the world as a man uh, in a way that you can see the pipeline from him to our current exemplars like Cernovich and um, Jack Murphy and even people like Bap. Uh, you know, they, they're all about this discussion of how to be in the world as a man and as an alpha. And of course, once so you get into that, essentially a manosphere to politics pipeline. In a manosphere sense. to politics pipeline uh, is that's somewhat well documented. It's always known that the quote unquote red pill community, whether or not red the term red pill came from the manosphere or the dissident right, is I'm not even sure if that's a known quantity. But basically, the, the connection between those two things is pretty well understood um and and again i would posit that this is the reason that it has to do with being in the world as a man which begins as a pickup artistry consideration Absolutely. and ends politically but we also want to talk about the manosphere to literature pipeline is our more solid focus here yeah although before we get into that 
there, um, there are many, you know, offshoots of the manosphere to politics pipeline, one of which was followed by Hartiste himself, which right. was I a, think it um, it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you have, let's just, well, to start off lightly, you have people like Cernovich and Jack Murphy, uh, and even BAP, I would actually put in this category where it's a manosphere to politics pipeline, and you get a you know, uh, a temperate, not not necessarily, te- I won't even say temperate, but, you know, a, just a, a pro-male politics, whether that means you're a Republican or a Bapist, all of this is in the realm of relative respectability to us. However, um, Hartiste is a bit more infamous. Uh, so, yeah, Hartiste kind of traveled the manosphere to um, white nationalism pipeline, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it... Obviously, we are we're focusing on this podcast on Hartiste, and he's an amazing writer and has amazing insights into men and women and to being a man in the world. It does not mean that we advocate his eventual turn toward uh, more extremist politics, which right. is something that we uh, we disavow. Of course we disavow. No, no, I don't even mean that sarcastically. We do disavow. And I haven't read much of... I haven't really come across... Perhaps, thankfully, haven't really come across much of his more extreme wignat, uh, so to speak. Or I, maybe I won't even use that word. But his more extreme turn, which goes beyond just WN, I think. And it's... People call him, like, a anti-Semitic maniac. Um, I, I haven't yeah, come I mean, across much of it. Not that interested, uh... It was I mean, even, even, pulled down on, from sorry. WordPress. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the reason why you can't come across this stuff is a lot of this stuff, uh, political stuff, was pulled down. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's a lot of ways to feel about that, obviously. That, you know, I think we're, we're kind of united uh, in the, the uh, sentiment that big you know, corporations should not uh, censor speech. And... You know, even if we don't like that speech. so um, Right, no, we, we're united in that sentiment. But again, I haven't come across much of what Hartiste actually said. But all I do know is that Delicious Tacos, who is very pro, you know, free expression and willing to say controversial things himself, nevertheless pretty much feels the need to, to, to sow this disavowal any time Hartiste comes up. So I, that tells me something that uh, that it really is. Uh, quite bad, but that's not what we're focusing on today. Perhaps, thankfully. Um, yeah, yeah. I found maybe and this is just a side note. Yeah. I don't know if we keep it in, but I found that delicious tacos is generally a good thermometer for like what is like based but not radioactive. And like, no, um, if you're I'm on board with yeah. DT, <clears throat> like, I think he's like, yeah, it's a really you know like real. Like, I don't know him, but he seems like a really, like, good guy. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I've talked to him once, and I, I'm sure that he'll be coming on this podcast. We just got to get him in. But, uh, no, I, I basically agree with that sentiment. Um, but even though I don't want to focus on Hartiste's, uh, you know, extremism, <laughs> it's, it's maybe it's worth unpacking a little bit, just a little bit further, you know, what the origin of that is and uh, i think it has to do with what we talked about regarding the quote-unquote red pill last episode which is that pua like certain racialist uh ways of looking at the world and looking at politics is indeed you know it's founded on a basic sense of biological determinism 
which I think that you and I agree, and uh, most of our listeners will agree, is valuable to look at things from a biological deterministic, uh, perhaps even evolutionary psychology type of framework. But you can, it can be overdone uh, to the point of, uh, you know, overly reducing certain realities. And I think Hartis does a little bit with regard to women in game, um, but ostensibly a lot more does he, you know, reduce to the point of, you know, stupidity uh with with uh with politics yeah yeah i i think drilling down into the the red pill like why is it valuable and the reason why it was valuable for artiste and for you know is is the same reason why it's valuable for cernovic in politics and tacos in literature and um I, I don't know, uh, Rush V as a uh, religious figure. <laughs> yeah, Western is, uh, Rasputin or whatever he is now. <laughs> is because um, it allows you to see the world without, um, you know, rose-colored glasses or whatever you want to call it, to see the, the actual truth, which is just really plain for anyone to see if they want to see it. But if you live in a world where everyone denies that truth, then you're at a great advantage if you're like actually able to say like, okay, this is the difference between X and Y and mm -hmm. that you, you know, you understand that that gives you an edge. Information gives you an edge. And so like to just drill down on a specific example, um, the writing of delicious tacos, and I'm, I guess I'm starting to sound like a tacos fanboy. This, uh, <laughs> I, I got to stop simping here. But um, he's a good example of what we're talking about a lot of the time. So yeah, yeah. his his writing. The reason why it really well, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why it's good is because he's right built and he's yeah. telling the truth. And people want to hear the truth. The truth is fun to hear. It, it confirms your view of reality, which people like. They like to know that, you know, other people see the same thing that they do. And um, in a world where no one actually endorses, the, or where the official storyline, <laughs> the official narrative is not the truth, then if you're a writer willing to tell the truth, I mean, that's a huge edge. And so absolutely, I mean, I, that's that's the basic of that's the basis of what all art and maybe most literally writing, but it can be done in painting and certainly in film as well uh, is, is is pinching out uh, the truth and, and the truth as it is most clearly understood, which is rarely, you know, the official narrative, rarely just day to day talk. It's, you know, locating locating um those elements of truth that are sometimes not okay to say but um you know I, if you can say the truth as honestly and clearly as you as you can um that is the root of all great art in my opinion Absolutely. Um, and i should also add with regard to the manosphere and even with regard to pickup and tacos i don't know if he would ever necessarily uh have been called a pickup artist but definitely his original blogging overlapped oh, yeah. with that it was on um, uh, Rushvi's forum, I think. There you go. Yeah, I mean, he, his own deliciousTacos.com has been around a lot. But yeah, no, he's obvious, He's associated with that and knows that and is aware that he's associated with that. 
but um, I, there, there is a libidinal element to it, too, that I kind of found in prep for this episode. You know, I sort of keep a diary sometimes, and I find that when I'm writing about women, uh, writing about women that I see, even in ways that are, you know, quote-unquote douchey, if you're, you know, judging the way they look, rating them on a scale of 1 to 10, it's this basic thing. But when you write about, you know, who you're attracted to and why, um, I find that you can, even as, you know, a lot of us are forced to be varying degrees of beta in our wagey jobs, in our day-to-day lives. It's kind of part of the package of modern urban life. But, you know, if you're sitting in the cafe, you see the girl and you (laughs) write what you think. Uh, maybe you, I find even as a quote unquote nice guy myself, like sometimes you're even surprised at what comes out of you. Like, wow, I, I really, you know, am looking at her this way. But of course you are because you're a guy and that's what you do. So if you're able to tap into that, um, it can be a way of tapping into a certain vital energy, a certain male gaze, so to speak, that feminists poo poo on. But I, you know, truly and sincerely believe it is the root of most great art in the West. Uh it's Absolutely. a way of accessing a vital way of looking and, and vital, sometimes uncomfortable truths about yourself and about your perception. And if you can do that with women, you can start to do it with everything. You can do it, with, as we talked about, with the po- political pipeline, uh, but even just on a literary basis. Uh, you know, if you can write the same way about being horny, if you, if you, if you, if you get used to I think Tacos has even said this, like if you get really good at writing about being horny, if you get really good about writing about coupling up and sex, then when your father passes away, all of a sudden you'll have that access in you to write about that tragedy uh, in, in a compelling and real way, because you're used to um, being honest. You're used to to being honest honest and you're used to honestly accessing your emotions and expressing them. And I would humbly submit that in in the world of most young men, like the most ready access they have to radical honesty, it has to do a little bit with their libido. Oh, true. And I think that is fundamental to the uh, manosphere to literature pipeline. Well, this just and and the manosphere to political pipeline too. This just occurs to me right now. uh, 1984, the they sought, I think, in the the novel. Uh, Orwell wrote that they sought to eliminate the orgasm because that was the one moment where you weren't controlled by the party, where you were thinking about something that was not like, I love the party. And I think there's uncomfortable parallels to today and like, yeah. you know, yeah, wokeness and, and all this, you know, official propaganda that we have to 100%. co-sign on. Like if you're in the cafeteria looking at the girl and you're supposed to think about all the ways you've uh, contributed to her oppression and you see her like, you know, awesome rack and you're, you know, you're thinking about grabbing it. You're, you know, suddenly you're not thinking about how you're, you're oppressing not supposed, her. You're, you're literally, I think, uh, you know, there's some, let's be honest, there's some feminists who are a little bit more reasonable, but there's a lot of like you know, especially this latest wave who, who like literally don't think it's okay for men to have those thoughts without consent. They might be heterosexual women and they, they, they want men to, to be men sometimes, but like, it's like male sexuality can only be sanctioned behind the realm of like a, you know, signed agreement of consent. It's basically banished. It's basically male sexuality, heterosexual male sexuality is basically banished. And I, I think it's, it's because it is inherently at odds with the kind of woke, social communist stuff yeah um i don't you know it sounds like a right-wing conspiracy but i i you know this is uh 
like kind of become the live reality for a lot of us. Yeah, basic like male sexuality is to, um, you know, initiate engagement with the woman, shall we say. And that runs into all these layers of like, did you consent? Did you, you know, did you check the appropriate? And so that, that runs right into all of the Me Too and the woke shit. And so what literature, you know, gives you is the, what red pill, you know, writing gives you is the ability to drill down into, you know, this, this honest way of looking at women and the world, which is totally at odds with the narrative that we're fed. And that, yeah, like you say, Matt, that's a vital energy that you can apply to other things that you can apply to politics is like, you know, like, like look at Cernovic. He's someone who six years ago, no one knew who he was. He was just some, some guy. And now he has like 2 million Twitter followers and like everyone, he's more famous than all of the writers who journalists who profile him. And, you know, how did he get there? It's just, you know, because he's, you know, red pill journalist of Mm -hmm. of sorts. I mean, like, I don't know if you'd want to be called a journalist, but, you know. Of sorts, for sure. Yeah. Get my meaning. No, I mean, we'll get more of this later, I think, too. But, yeah, uh, sexuality and especially generative phallic male sexuality is the uh, primordial source of all things. And that's why it's important even to ostensibly conservative, which are often seen as anti-sex or historically, but, you know, conservative political goals. Uh, it's, you know, this primordial male sexuality is, is like the generative source of life. You know, it's it's come. It's <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Um, and uh, and that does make it, you know, it makes it politically useful to people who would generate it, you know, who would canal it in the right direction and it makes it politically dangerous for those who try and suppress it and that's the story of the manosphere is it's something that starts as a libidinal urge how do i get laid and it ends uh politically and also literarily (laughs) absolutely and i mean the original emphasis of the like it's applying the male i mean we just went through how this is applying the male gaze to uh art to politics, but to drill back down to the original application of the male gaze by, say, Hartiste, he applied it to dating. He applied it to, like, how do I use this uh, this red pill? And, like, this is, I mean, I, I think this is important for, you know, listeners to realize, and especially younger listeners who, you know, were, you know, maybe not of uh, fucking age in the <laughs> 2000s uh, to realize that, like, this is where the Sigma male shit kind of comes from. This is where the, you know, like, uh, how, I mean, he is what Hartiste in his program is talking about is how to become a quote unquote Sigma male, how to game the system of alpha beta to, you know, to kind of raise your own status and to become highly desirable by bucking the system of, you know, uh, kind of, well, maybe not necessarily buck, but gaming the system as as it were. And game, game system. Uh, no, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, he teaches you how to go. Well, he usually puts it in terms of how to go from beta to alpha. But we may understand 
you know, the Sigma quote unquote elements uh, of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting there is the division, like his conception of alpha is like, I mean, I think that the kind of conception of alpha more traditionally is like the quarterback, the jock Mm -hmm. that everyone likes the, you know, and like, he's kind of teaching you to be more of like, um, I mean, that's like a natural, and he, I think he has a chapter or a few lines in the book about natural alphas who fail to remain alpha because right. that, that fades. And like, he's, he's really, te- I, I don't know, maybe you, you don't agree, but I think he's teaching you to be a, okay, I sound stupid with all this. No, 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 stuff. no, go on. No, I, I actually, to be honest with you, um, we should, no, we can keep, we should keep this in the show. I mean, I, I am not as familiar with the Sigma male meme, but I think yeah, there's absolute, but uh, there is absolutely a difference between a quote unquote natural alpha, who is just someone who's, you know, often peaked in high school uh, and then ends up getting married and turning into a, a beta schlub. There's a big difference between that and the sort of skilled Don Juan, Lothario, Casanova, insert name here, exactly. um, that Tartiste is trying to train you to be, whether that's as a Sigma male or whatever you want to call it. Um, there is a difference between the trained, the, you know, someone who has trained themselves to be beyond, you know, to basically not rely on women for anything. Yeah. Um, versus the, the natural alpha, who's just a kind of a natural physical specimen, you know, ameliorated but yeah the exactly the high school quarterback and we all know what happens to a lot of people who peak in high school uh they end up turning into schlubs uh, yeah so good uh, thing that didn't happen to me (laughs) what were you the high school quarterback uh no no i said good thing that didn't happen (laughs) you're right right of course um but uh but yeah no um he he offers uh you know, we, we won't, we, on this show, we won't even necessarily get that far into the specifics of the content of the book. People should definitely read it for themselves. But he has a, a wealth of, of knowledge on pickup, uh, even getting into ultra, ultra specific techniques uh, and tactics. Um, a lot of it founded on a fundamental philosophic view of men and women, um, which uh, he also cites uh, the writer F. Roger Devlin. For um, again, a lot of people listening to this probably will be familiar with the basic F. Roger Devlin views about hypergamy and how feminism and capitalism have affected the sexual marketplace. And a lot of people will be uh, comfortable with, you know, a lot of not comfortable, but a lot of people will be familiar with the basics of games. So we probably don't need to yeah. summarize that stuff too much. We'll assume a degree of foreknowledge. But if you if you're not familiar with that stuff, then you should definitely read Hartiste and read Devlin. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking maybe we want to drill down into, um, how effective do we think, or how reasonable do we think his tactics and techniques are for actual dating and, uh, relationships. And hooking up. Yeah, it's the, it's the million dollar question. I mean, yes, we talk about the pipeline, the manosphere to literature, manosphere to politics pipeline, and how this stuff branches out well beyond the realm of pickup artistry. But if it's the question, but fundamentally, and especially in this book we're reading, it's Hartiste on game. The question is, is this stuff about game and about relationships and women, is it accurate or is it not? And it's the question, which later becomes maybe an existential question, 
uh, that you carry with you as you read this book is does this stuff work? And I think we both had somewhat interesting experiences, maybe having one impression at first, maybe trying out stuff, or maybe even exactly. just thinking it through and arrived at different conclusions, if you want to comment on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, in general, his advice is to be aloof. I mean, this is reductive, but it's be aloof, be withholding, women will chase you. And mm -hmm. that is, and also, you know, frankly, probably applies to men as well and power dynamics in general. Be withholding aloof, people will assume your higher value and just run with that. And that kind of underlies the whole game. And again, we're probably telling you stuff you already know because, like, we all know game. We all, you know, we all have heard about this stuff. But he breaks it down on a very granular level. So, like, examples are, like, and, you know, I was reading through this and we were talking about it, Matt, and we were laughing about it, um, that, you know, stuff like you shouldn't show your palms when you're you know, trying to pick up a girl. You should only show her the back of your hand. Which is not to say you should slap back at her, but you should not, uh, you should not show your, your palms to a woman, which just sounds fucking insane. And uh, you should, when you're holding a drink, you should only hold it at waist level, not at chest level. Don't hold it like by your nipples because that's beta. And so that just uh, sounds, I'm reading, I'm like, this is stupid as shit that I've, you know. But. You know, a couple of, a week after, you know, we started talking about it and I was at a party and I was um, holding my drink. I was, you know, like self-consciously holding it by my waist because I'm like, well, let me try this out. I, I felt more alpha. I, I it definitely, yeah. and I think I, it looks more alpha too to hold your drink by your waist than to hold it up it by absolutely, your chest. It absolutely does. I did the same, I wasn't at a party, but I did the same test in front of a mirror and I was really struck by the results. And if you actually want to learn game from this book, so my, my experience of reading it, like it, it's overwhelming. It's like, how on earth could I apply all this stuff? I, I'm a, hopelessly a beta. I, I would get too self-conscious about all these lines and all these attitudes to strike. But obviously I would say the best way to read this is by osmosis. You, you know, you read this stuff and you know, you remember to be confident and aloof and a lot of it kicks in. But then on another level, some of that ultra specific stuff, which we did sort of make fun of and question at first, like with the drink holding rule, I feel like a little thing like that, the opposite of osmosis, it's like, what, it's, it's, it's just honing in on one specific thing. And like, maybe once you hold the drink by your waist rather than your chest, all of a sudden, you just feel more confident. And that actually is what struck me about it. I felt more confident. It's a more of a power pose, so to speak. Yeah. So I, it's twofold. Hartis is filled with little chunks of wisdom that you can apply very specifically that will then affect, um, you know, the way that you act, your demeanor, you know, for, uh, you know, once you do it, it will affect your demeanor going forward. And then also, I think even just reading it and absorbing it, like you don't even have to think about it because i think that a lot i think that what hartis would say too is that like all this game stuff you can't get too self-conscious over you just got to like learn to embody it over time yeah unlocking um, your confidence basically exactly and so like you know if holding a drink if putting a drink on your head made you feel more confident hartis would probably tell you to do it now Pretty much most people yeah. would not feel more confident in that situation but um yeah it's like 
his a lot of his tips and tricks are just to unlock confidence. I feel exactly, and there's a lot of it, and some of it's even lighthearted. Sometimes you can when you're reading this book. It's funny. It's one of the ways in which Hartiste is a good writer, as he is funny and you know some of the time it's not that oh, yeah. a lot of it is very serious uh, maybe all of it's 100 percent serious but also it's approached with a certain humor and uh, again not that i'm necessarily endorse i can't endorse everything harty says in this book about treating women obviously but if you're going to give it a try uh i you know i would recommend just going in going into it with a sense of humor not taking it too seriously because otherwise you know if you if you get bogged down by the details, you'll say, I can never do this. But I think that if you approach it with the right levity, uh, you may be surprised. Yeah. And I think that overall, our conclusion, you know, when we were preparing the notes for this, is like, we basically co-sign uh, that, that Hartiste is largely correct about game. Yeah. Though perhaps we do have a couple, uh, you know, angles of criticism. But, but the basics of game, I think that, you know, who are we to say that this man isn't uh, the king? <laughs> Very true. Very true, Matt. I do wonder sometimes, like, is Hartiste a bit oversexed? Like, some of the way his ways of writing and thinking, um, not to put myself in a power position over him, because he's probably a better writer than me, and obviously he's older, but some sometimes it reminds me of, like, um, you know, certain things I would write and think when I was a bit younger and, frankly, hornier than I am <laughs> now, or, like, less sexually satisfied because I was single. Uh, and sometimes it does feel like he's kind of thinking with his dick a little bit. Uh, and I, 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 in a way that reminds me a little bit of like certain very perverse thinkers of the left, like Foucault, where it's like everything reduces to sex. I mean, Hartiste as much as says that the only you know point of being alive is for sex, that every social reality reduces on down to it. It's actually something I semi-satirized, semi-explored in Dragon Day with the character of Wallingford and his, uh... For people who've read the book, you know, his whole philosophy about everything reducing to penis size and penetration, etc. Um, so sometimes I wonder if Hartiste sort of is a bit oversexed and, and maybe is a little bit blinded to the uh, parameters of life, you know, beyond his dick, so to speak. But then I come right back and wonder, like, is that a bad thing? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there, there, maybe, maybe he's right on some level. Like, obviously there is more to life than sex, but well, I think is not there some important social reality and contained totally within sexuality. I think this harkens back to the distinction between the early 2010s and today's world. And like, yes, he, you know, it, it undoubtedly is oversexed, um, artiste <laughs> is like way too, um, you know, even, even at that, in, during that era, uh, too focused on this to the detriment of, you know, any, the amount of effort you, you would have to spend to be the Lothario that Hartiste wants you to be is almost exclusive of even having a job. Like this is, this is your job. And that's insane. Yeah. Like, you, you do need, like, just even to support yourself. But beyond that, man's aspirations have to, you know, be more than getting laid. Mm -hmm. But I think that we, you know, right now we live in a time that's politically fraught, that, um, you know, really, you know, I don't think it's trite to say, but I, I don't think it's wrong to say that great questions, great challenges are, uh, you know, in front of us. Great mm -hmm. forces are on the move, in the the words of Churchill, and um, 
that wasn't true in the early 2010s. Yeah. So this, you know, emphasis on, you know, like, be the best Lothario you can be. I mean, it's almost an artistic, you know, like, he, no one could really follow Harty's program to the letter. But also, like, what else were you going to do? You go watch The Hangover? Yeah. You're going to, you know, I don't know, uh, <laughs> like... Yeah, I don't yeah, even. I, I don't even know yeah. if people did in the 2010s. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Go see Modest Mouse or something. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Today, no, I get what you're saying. It, 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 um, yeah. There's there's more to focus on, and uh, no, it comes back down to that. Like he is setting a certain ideal, and maybe it's a semi dark ideal at times. But it's nevertheless, it's an ideal. It's an extre- It's an extreme vision of the world, and whether it is perfectly applicable in every scenario i don't know but there is a purity to even the vision even in its extremity and it is something that can influence you by osmosis it's something to aspire to at times and to you know take with certain grains of salt as we've said i think his um his advice on game is very good but it's also kind of takes as a presupposition that you, well, a couple of things. Like one, it takes as a presupposition that you are the type of male that this will help. And Mm -hmm. there are like, genetically, I I think that, you know, confidence and extroversion are somewhat genetic. You know, if you're on the low end of confidence or extroversion and you try this stuff, you probably seem insane. And people will, you know, not like you, I assume. So, like, yeah. you you need to kind of, like, uh, know your role. <laughs> and... For sure. Um, and I think there's an even more basic point, which it's almost not worth repeating, but we should. It's stuff you'd find on incel black pill forums. Not that I'm a black pillar, but nevertheless, you know, there are some criticisms here. And people say that the PUA scene died because people realize it just really wouldn't work if you were below a seven or maybe even you know below a six uh there's genetic limitations pertaining to to looks and also as you said pertaining to to confidence i think less so i'm very skeptical of the incel uh black looks black pill because Mm -hmm. like i mean a lot of like like there's so many examples of not very good looking guys who have very hot women it's true. And a lot of, like, I think the apps make it that, you know, you're not going to get the swipe if you're ugly. But in person, it's different because a man's attractiveness is manifested in his, you know, alphaness or personality. Right. Not necessarily no. alphaness, but, like, you can be an attractive guy without being an attractive guy. And no, you're right. Yeah. Like take Elliot Roger for example. Yeah. <laughs> like uh he good example. You know, he um he pro I you know, I obviously I've read my twisted world. Maybe one day we'll do a show if it's not too controversial. <laughs> uh but he you know, he I I don't know exactly why why he didn't think he could find women. Um but you know, it, it didn't have to do with his looks at all. It it didn't even really have to do with his lack of confidence per se. It had to do with the fact that he was you know, extremely Ooh. neurotic, you, you know, probably to be around him, you know, you could tell something was wrong with this guy, yeah. which is the case for a lot of, or not even, and it doesn't even have to be that bad, obviously. Some people are uh, just variously neurotic in ways that's going to 
interfering with the traction. Most of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, like, you kind of made the point. Go on, sorry. Like Rogers, he he was a good looking guy, and yeah, I mean, confidence obviously wasn't exactly his problem. Because, you know, what he ultimately did was, you know, you can't really be unconfident and do something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, really, just a fundamental, you know, antisocial affect, inability to, like, connect with people, you know, simmering resentment, obviously. And, like, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that people say... Oh, he just, he would have, you know, he wasn't really an incel. He could have got it laid. And I don't think so. I think, you know, he, you know, women probably hated him because being around him, they're like, this guy is fucking weird. And exactly. he feels, yes. he it feels like he wants to kill me. And like, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, someone like Rogers, he, um, you know, he is the proof that Hartiste could have helped him or I don't know maybe he couldn't have helped him but like if he knew game if he and like I know we're gonna get a lot of hate for this from like incels and stuff ah. but if if only you learned game you would you know yeah. life would change but I mean I think Hartiste is right to a certain extent that like the these techniques will make you attractive if you can use them where I think Hartiste was deficient is that not everyone could benefit from Hartee's techniques that like a more whole, more holistic game would be okay. If you're like the type of guy who could use Hartee's techniques, do that. And if you're not, if you're like, you know, very beta in certain ways, learn how to be like a fun loving beta and you know, you not as many women will watch you, but some will like lean into your strengths basically. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, you kind of made it, uh, which I thought was a good point, so I don't want to take your point, but I also want to say it and yeah. co-sign that you did, in fact, say this. You kind of said that Hartiste is almost not sufficiently biological determinist in parts. He kind of is a blank, and maybe this is just rhetorically good for someone who's trying to build an audience and for someone who's trying to convince you that he can help you, but he's a little bit, he's he's an, he's a total anti-blank slatist when it comes to everything, yeah. apparently including race, as we later learn. But, uh <laughs> But when it comes to men, he he's he's almost comes across as a little not a total blank slate, because he acknowledges the natural differences between men. But there is, and maybe you know, maybe if Hartiste was on the Zoom, he'd say, "I never said that." Um, but it's one reading it, one is like, "Oh, this you know, this anyone can apply aspects of this." And I, I you know, maybe there are some people who pretty much can't apply any aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's a spectrum. Some people. You know, but yeah, exactly. He is addressing men as though they are a blank slate mentally that, you know, every man has the same, you know, mental capacities, emotional capacities. Right. And uh, yeah, so like in a way he's he's being the way that, you know, the the, the woke tarts are. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, you know, in a limited yeah, no. capacity. I, in a limited capacity, but there's, yeah, there's, it's it's a grain of salt with, there's, I, I would say there's a number of grains of salt with which to take, pick up stuff in general. Yeah. Um, and, and this is one of those grains of salt, uh, perhaps. Um, and another point I just wanted to hit is that, because uh, it's funny, uh, but also a little bit relevant to this, is that a lot of what Hartiste recommends, some and like verbatim this, 
is um, cultivating dark triad personality type traits, uh, at least performatively. But honestly, it sometimes seems like he actually thinks that you should act like Patrick Bateman. And that's like the best way to get ahead in life. I mean, he, he literally says, you know, the more narcissistic, selfish, uh, lacking in empathy you are, the better. In parts, and he changes his tone elsewhere. Um, but it's it's worth noting that that is sort of the end game of game, is turning into this, uh, if not Patrick Bateman and at least Don Draper, I mean, like, you know, very, yeah. very, very cold male, which... I don't know. I mean, is it worth, you know, maybe it is the best way uh, to produce the most of what uh, Hartice would call vagina tingle, perhaps. Um, but, you know, whether or not it's the way you want to comport yourself in life is another question. Um, and, you know, me for me reading it, and we'll probably touch on this a bit more later, like just existentially, it's like I, I, I'm with this to a point, but I don't necessarily even want to be the ideal alpha that Artis describes because it's a pretty cold reality. Crucially, like, you know, you mentioned Don Draper. I mean, like, yeah, he's cool. And yeah, he got laid a lot. But do you do you really want to be Don Draper? If you watch the show, he's a pretty fucked up guy. He's, you know, has a lot of sorrow, a lot of like bad shit that winds up happening because he's so fucked up. Like in general, being a psychopath has uh, certain limitations in your ability to, like the the good. You have to define what the good is. What what is it that you want in your life? And you know, if it's to fuck the most women possible, then yeah, you should be Don Draper. You should be whoever Hartiest is telling you to be. But you know, there's. There's more to life, I, I think, we, we think. In general, I think the manosphere has kind of grown up in a way mm-hmm. in that they acknowledge now, like, generally, like, dissident right, Twitter, dissident right in general, manosphere, like, whatever this thing became and is right now, it's not about fucking as many women as possible. No, pretty much for no one. Uh, you know, not for Rouge V, obviously. We'll go <laughs> later. Not even for Tacos, who's still pretty horny <laughs> but uh no um and I'll, I'll add uh even even hartice and i'll add this as a defense of him i think what he would say and this is we read the first basic hundred pages of hartice on game for this podcast i ended up going a bit ahead getting into his chapters on sex and actually getting into his chapters on what he calls relationship game and a softer side later emerges i think what hartice would say is that he he himself is a bit of a lothario he himself uh, you know, is, is like Rushby used to be, you know, get as high a body count as possible. But he says elsewhere, no, I never said that men should do that. I want to give them the tools to be the alpha that can choose whether to use their sexual power to do that or not, or to use it for other things. Um, he says that later, and I, uh, I'll grant him the point. I think that I'm not 100% sure if I agree with this, but I but I think what Hart but it, it's it's a compelling point. I think what Hartis would say is, no, you don't have to be you don't have to have an ultra high body count, but you're going to be a stronger man if you could do that if you wanted. Absolutely. Um, and these are the tools so that you could can do that if you want. Uh, if you want to choose it to be married and have kids or apply, you know, your erotic energy to any number of other exploits, you can do that. But the more of a 
pirate the more of a booty bandit <laughs> sorry to say that shit wow that sounds no terrible. that's good the more the more of that you can be uh it, it's basically a level of your fitness as a male which on an evolutionary level is true uh and compelling which is appealing to women on an evolutionary level and is. that is i think a pretty good segue to talk about um how this is um evidenced in and how this operates in sadomasochism and BDSM. And absolutely. Yeah. You know, this, we drew, I, I don't think Hartiste talked about BDSM or talks about it. He probably thinks it's like some weird shit that, you know, losers still, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we have, we do it. I guess, I don't know. That's, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to put words in your <laughs> mouth, Matt. No, uh, no, no, no. Um, we wanted we'll approach it this way. Like, I don't think Hartiste ever uses the word BDSM uh, in his, at least in what we read. And you know, is that because he's writing in a time when it was still slightly more taboo to talk about it? Perhaps. But he writes. He writes about it almost not subliminally. It's like it's part and parcel of what he writes about in a way where he does it. It doesn't. It's not like a side fetish thing for him. His point is that this is the way that women are. They like an ultra dominant man, and this is the way, you know, alpha males are at least. They like to dominate women, and he doesn't talk about BDSM. But his the name of his blog is from this French novel, The Story of O. The Roycey is, I guess, the main character in that. And the Chateau Hartiste is where he uh, lives and fucks. Um, oh, is it actually called the Chateau Hartiste? In, I uh, think so. I haven't read Story of O, oh. but I'm pretty sure he just took it wholesale. And, oh. you know, that's not BDSM in a German dungeon porn, let me pee in your mouth way. But it is part of that tradition of sadomasochistic literature. Yeah. And, um, again, talking about, like, the sex sections of the book, which I find... To be wonderful, frankly, like it's it's very good erotica. It's uh, you know very hot descriptions of sex, and you can imagine like once when you read that section on sex, you can see it's like something clicked for me because it's like oh, this actually is stuff that women like. You know what I'm saying? Like I can actually imagine a woman really enjoying those descriptions, and I it's yeah. I all of a sudden I totally believe that that you know that Hartiste is not just fronting and that he. Yeah, women really do enjoy his company, and you can see why. Anyway, I say all this to say that um, for Hartiste, these kind of dominant sex act, it's part and parcel of his worldview. He doesn't call it BDSM because he didn't have to. For him, it's just sex. Yeah, exactly. Um, he is but, uh, suggesting yeah, you live as a dom, basically. Exactly. You are a 24-7 dom in reality, in the real world. And so I, I think well, that's a bit reductive, but I think that's somewhat reasonable to say. And BDSM is a kind of, in a way, taking this dynamic and delimiting it to the bedroom or to a specific scene or whatever. And so yeah, it's, it's a way of kind of um, embodying this divide, this, you know, this, you know, uh, mm-hmm evolutionary um embodying the evolutionary ideals that right. women will respond to and doing it in a way that is almost self-consciously acknowledging that 
the social reality is not supposed to reflect this. And I think you see no, this exactly. in, in the sense that a lot of women in the scene, as it were, are, uh, you know, very progressive and they like, yeah. they are feminists and intersectional feminists and all of this stuff, but they still want to be dominated by rough, aggressive men. Now, they can't really get that in reality without feeling shitty about themselves because they got fucked by a Trump voter. So <laughs> they, uh, they will, you know, seek someone who, you know, says he's not a Trump voter and <laughs> yeah. fucks them, you know, in an aggressive manner in a BDSM scene. And that is, you know, the, it's a way of safely experiencing what has become criminalized or taboo sexuality which is in exactly. fact natural sexuality yeah no a few thoughts on that i mean it's the the role of bdsm and the rising role of the acceptability of bdsm in modern urban culture is fascinating um and i have a nuanced take on it i think that uh you know some of the people who are into it uh, are totally in denial about what it represents a lot of people in the manosphere i wasn't really around for this but my impression is with the popularity of 50 shades of gray a lot of people didn't praise the book or anything because it is a horribly written book but it was viewed the popularity was kind of viewed as a um a, a vindication of a lot of what the manosphere stood for yeah. but um yeah the role of bdsm in modern urban culture and again it is a increasingly socially accepted thing um, is fascinating. And I, I got to plug your book, Dan, um, because, oh, you, uh, <laughs> which is not out. So I don't want to you know, talk to these people too that. much with it. It's, it's but, called uh, Nutcracker. Nut, Nutcracker, <laughs> as you can imagine, there's a sexual element. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, there's uh, I remember the scene of the main character, Spencer, who is a somewhat bumbling would be arthritist uh getting into bdsm and getting into a relationship with a very liberal you know progressive sub progressive submissive woman from a website and his his argument his view which is bumbling but is there a grain of some kind of interesting truth there views uh bdsm as like the last bastion of patriarchy and gender roles in the west uh, and I, I mean, I'm curious to what extent you think that, you know, obviously it's satirical, but where, how much truth do you think is in that satire? Well, uh, yeah, I'll just pose it that way. I think that, and, and when I wrote it, I intended that Spencer, the protagonist of Nutcranker was going into that encounter with his, you know, then, uh, date, you know, soon to be girlfriend. And he was thinking she is deluded in her progressive ideals because she really wants this, you know, rough, uh, red-pilled sex. And that, you know, he was going to, you know, um, convert her to his worldview based on the appeal and of the sexual appeal of this dynamic. But what he eventually realizes in the novel is that it is a safe way for women like Crystal, the, the girl in the novel, to experience these things. And that he's the one who actually is subverted because he has to, to you know, continue to be a part of her you know, world, cosign on values that he doesn't believe in. And right. he 
you know, how he gets to fuck her. But I mean, he's, he's really delivering to her a dynamic that she needs and wants, but cannot, um, you know, find in the wild yeah. because in the wild, she's going to get it from someone who she doesn't want to be in a relationship with. Yeah. So BDSM, she's going to get it with someone who she doesn't want to be in a relationship with if she can get it at all, because there is also this reality that men are increasingly weak, especially in cities. And I, I think that yeah. just, just I'll add as a caveat, I think that is another reason why the popularity is going up. I mean, we're always attracted to what there's a lack of. And I think some of the, you know, inflamed interest of women in BDSM has to do with this, you know, lack of this severe lack of masculinity. Yeah. Society. But no, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I mean, that's that's basically yeah. it. That, like, yeah. she, you know, is, he is subverted by the, the process because he is the one who, um, you know, ultimately compromises. I mean, that's not how the book ends. The book ends in a very different manner. Mm-hmm. But um, he, um, you know, to maintain this relationship, he has to embrace progressive values and you know it's yeah so the moral there i would say you know from my personal life is uh that that no uh you know being interested in bdsm is not a redeeming quality for ultra progressive women but i do have to say that women who have known who are somewhat into bdsm and just somewhat in touch with the fact basically women that um know that they like dominant guys and are not necessarily progressive um women i've met like that um are far preferable uh to the women who um are in denial about the fact that they even like dominant guys at all uh, which is, uh, you know, I've dated women like that, too, where it's like they're sort of in denial about wanting this alpha type behavior. They think they want the nice romantic sex uh, and, uh, equality even in the bedroom. So I have found even though I'm not saying like, oh, f- go find yourself a girl who's into that because most of them are, you know, even more progressive than average. Um, I do think it's a, ba- a basic sign of well adjustment if a woman is willing to. You know, if a woman's more in touch with the fact that she does like a dominant guy, and if a woman can tell you that, uh, especially, you know, and again, I I could call myself a beta male. I, I won't because I don't, you know, I think half of being alpha is, is wanting to be, so I won't call myself a beta male. But I do think that living in a city, living this modern, wagey lifestyle, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to, to, to live out, you know, a, Hartiste alpha status so it can be helpful again not we're not talking about german dungeon porn but it can be helpful when when you yeah. meet a girl who's like way more just like yeah this is what i like uh and it, it can be rather liberating for you as a male scared of me too and all that to just be able to lean into that with someone so no i don't think pdsm is the last bastion of patriarchy in the west but i think a, a touch of it uh can have redemptive qualities and can be a, a positive path for some uh couples <laughs> absolutely i mean anything that you know results in like you know really you know good sex that's that's, exactly. that's good you know that's it's a good in the yeah. world um you mentioned that in you know cities men are cucked and um 
you know, it's, it's pretty abysmal. And I think what, what's interesting about that, and this brings us to another topic here, is that that is more, not entirely a recent phenomenon, but it's, it's hyperization is a, a recent phenomenon. And when Hartiste was writing in the, the early 2010s, men were not as cucked because it was before all this woke stuff kind of took off in like 2015. Right. Yeah. And so well, that introduces a couple of interesting questions. But um, one question is, to what extent is um, pickup and game uh, able to coexist with the Me Too movement? And Yeah, the, no, it's... Yeah. Uh... It's a great question because on the one hand, the Hartis of the world, the PUA should say, what are we, scared of me too? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, obviously the alpha attitude is like, who cares? Women are hysterical. They're in denial. We don't care. We're going to keep doing it. But when it's pushed past a certain point, as it has been, where people's livelihoods literally become in danger, um, you know, because they went on a bad date. And just, of course, we got, you know, we have to add the caveat. This isn't all of me too. We're not talking about, we're not defending Harvey Weinstein, especially because Rose McGowan has been kind of based recently. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not dismissing everything uh, of Me Too, but the, the, I don't think it's controversial to say the way that it's devolved, uh, you know, with the Aziz Anasari of it all, and just the way that it's made men in general at all levels of society, not just powerful men, uh, but men at all levels of society, afraid to approach women. Well, yeah, that's a beta attitude. We should still apply PUA stuff, but it, it does get harder because when Hartiste was writing this stuff in 2010, there was a reasonable assumption that there was a separation of your relationship and sex life. There was a separate, there was a total separation between that and your professional life. I mean, if you're obviously, if you bring it too much into the workplace, you know, if you shit too much where you eat, that's going to sow chaos. But, but there was a reasonable assumption that what you did at bars on the weekend and with women on dating apps wasn't going to affect your you know, reputation and and, per, and work life. Um, but I, I would say that we're kind of out of that realm. And now there is this great fear of the way you can be tarnished online and the reputation that can end up preceding you. Well, now we live in the, the, the total state, the, you know, the total internet state where the web is so, social media is so pervasive that you can get canceled for stuff that, you know, you, it's just, you know, totally unrelated to your job and you can become a celebrity even though you're not a celebrity. And mm -hmm. that is, uh, that's a game killer. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, they're real, like an example. Um, I remember, I had a friend in my early 20s who uh, followed the, um, there's a pickup artist, I think, called, who called himself Tyler Durden. Mm -hmm. And he uh, had, you know, something, or maybe it's a different pickup, I don't know. But in any case, my friend was uh, following this Kiss Open. Um, this, <laughs> yeah, so you just you go up to, to women and to open them as a you know, potential uh, dating partner, you just start kissing them. <laughs> and this, uh, you know, he, he actually didn't get beat up that I know of. Um, he, you know, I don't know how effective it was to tell you the truth, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't like, you know, nothing really bad happened to him. 
I think if this happened today, you bad stuff is much more likely to happen to you. Yeah, people will video you. You're on TikTok, whatever. Exactly. You're on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, like, and with like being punched in the face at the low end of the bad stuff. Like the really bad stuff would be, yeah, you're on TikTok and you lose your job and become an internet meme. And so whenever anyone Googles you, you're the weird, you know, yeah. QA rapist guy and you never get hired again. And right, so no, and yeah. Th- that's, you know, that whole, I mean, like, yes, Kiss Opens probably should be, you know, killed. That's, you know, that's a game that's <laughs> really, was never a good. Yeah, game it's thing. not a good game technique. But like other game techniques are, um, you know, they're not. Yeah, they can't live in harmony with this. And and I, I think what the what the supreme alpha, what the supreme gentleman <laughs> would say <laughs> would be that oh, if your game is really on point, you'll subvert, you'll circumvent all of this because no woman will complain about you because you're so wonderful. But also, Hartiste and Rouge and the others would be the first to say that in order to get to that place, you're going to have to fail a lot. Like you yeah. know. You're going to have to practice and fail a lot. And I think it's that set that time for people to practice and fail where the stakes have been substantially raised. Um, even if even avoiding the whole like social potential social media blitz of it, like um, just the way women are liable to react to you, you know, maybe in 2010, 2011, it'd be like, oh, you're a loser. Go away. But now it's like oh, you're one of those people that I've been told is like the root of all evil in society. It just, yeah, you know, and exactly. maybe the stru- you can, you can, you can withstand that if you're, you know, you can try to adapt, but it's, it's, the stakes are, are raised. The Schmidt you know, of it all. The what? The Schmidt of it all. Who's Schmidt? Uh, Carl Schmidt. The friend oh, 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 yeah. yeah, of course, of course. Yes, no, no, that's a really good point that we actually hadn't even talked about for the outline, but yeah, that's there, an episode it's, it's much more. It is. I mean, the not Schmidt this episode, the Manistry of Literature Pipeline right. is a great title, but the Schmidt of it all, we got to use that for a title at some point. We, we do, but, <laughs> but the friend-enemy thing, that's key, because it's it started with, uh, and I don't blame Trump, but even before Me Too, it was the exist, you know, the the rise of Trump all of a sudden turned all of these things. So part of what we're trying to say is that, you know, Hartiste was writing from a time when you could kind of just be like this casual, chill middle to upper middle class white guy enjoying life in this Obama era, you know, hangover, the the hangover type humor era. That's probably the reason why Hartiste, the Hartiste of 2010, obviously we know that Hartiste has politics now as we addressed, but the Hartiste of 2010 was very dismissive of politics. He's like, don't worry about politics. You know, maybe have some fun telling, he says Bush, you know, maybe have some fun telling a girl that you voted for Bush or whatever, but like, He's basically apolitical because the time he was writing was relatively apolitical and sex was more interesting than politics. But post-Trump, um, this friend-enemy distinction does get introduced. And all of a sudden, yeah, the it's no longer, oh, that guy's a douche. It's, oh, that guy is, you know, one of these, like, vampiric, secret, racist Nazi people who's, <laughs> you know, raping women. Like, it, this yeah. is the stakes, even, even if not with... Even avoiding the issue of do will you or will you not face real material consequences, because yeah, no, most guys going to a bar on a Friday night aren't going to end up facing that many material consequences. But even just the emotional signify the, the emotional significance of all of a sudden, you know, you are singled out as like a capital E evil person um, due to that friend enemy distinction post Trump is um, very much in the water. Yeah. Uh, now and it raises the question, you know. 
what is the current state of pickup artistry? I mean, it's kind of dead as a blogging movement. You don't really see many people writing about it now, or the people that are are kind of more hucksters. You know, they're not purveyors of truth so much. So it's like, I mean, I think people just aren't getting laid. And I think like the, I mean, I, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking of the, uh, the cycle of regimes, the hard times make strong men thing. I think we're now in the kind of the, the hard times section. I think so too. And so like fucking is kind of like, you know, okay, we're, we're not getting laid, but you know, there's actually a lot of worse stuff that's happening. So, you know, we're not as worried about that, but we're still, it still sucks. It's like, you know, but it's just like, yeah. So, I mean, no, I get what you're saying. We're living, uh, you know, Tacos has said we're living in the age of pussy warlords or something. It's really a a desert out there. The pussy warlords thing is a really good metaphor because that describes the pickup strategy that uh, Tacos endorsed on Caribbean Rhythms with BAP, which is uh, pickup now is game plus fame. And yeah, so like that's like, well, what's game plus fame? It's like, oh, you want to get laid? Become a warlord. Become a, you know, an edge lord. You have to have some notoriety. A, yeah, make, you Which know, is why, dollars, you know, some, you gotta have some fucking angle. Yeah, yeah, some angle, even if it's for something ostensibly bad. I mean, you know, obviously serial killers get, you know, panties mailed to them. And that's why I think, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I believe Taco's also said on the episode, like, he's really started to integrate, like, giving women copies of his book and just doxing himself to that, to them. That's, like, part of his pickup strategy or something, because women love a an online villain, which maybe that could be an aspiration uh, for us with this podcast, uh, is, you know, achieving fame plus game. That's my long play, Matt. I want to. I want to find a yeah. wife through this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you probably will watch it happen. Um, that brings us to an that? interesting project from someone else. I think. What's that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We should talk about someone fame plus yeah. game. Well, who is doing fame plus game right now? None other than uh, the 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 dark uh, warlord himself, Curtis Yarvin, <laughs> the dark prince of the internet. Yeah. He uh, he wrote a post on Grey Mirror. His I, I think he, it's on Grey Mirror. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, his blog asking or, or rather an offer uh, to be his his girlfriend, and uh, he you know explains what he's looking for, and you know his selection criteria, and you know his his what he brings to the table. And, you know, he's, he's caught a lot of hate for this because, not hate, but a like, lot of ridicule. ridicule. A lot of yeah, like, he, like people, people are basically accusing him of being beta or cringe. Yeah. Is the main criticism. Yeah. And I but, think Hartiste, of course, would say this is the most beta shit I've ever heard of. But I think, you know, getting back to what we said earlier, there's a lot of ways to, you know, more than one way to skin the cat. And. This is a great example of, in my opinion, of someone leaning into his strengths. So Yarvin, he, like, what does he have besides a lot of money? I mean, that's a strength, obviously, but it's actually, it's hard to, you know, convert money into pussy. It's like, unless you have a shit ton, and actually maybe Yarvin does have a shit ton of it, but if you're just like a normal guy and you're making 
three hundred, five hundred thousand a year. It's not like you, you know, women are lining up. It's not it's, it's even. It's hard to signal that. It's hard to, you know. But um, what does he actually have? He has a huge internet audience of people who think, you know, rightly so, that he's really like interesting thought leader, and so. He's leveraging his audience to reach the people who know him. And he assumes that some of these people are attractive women that he wants to, you know, marry yeah. again, you know, again. Uh, his wife recently passed mm -hmm. away and he's looking for a new wife. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, he's using... Yeah, what the hell is Yarvin supposed... He's supposed to go out to a bar and, like, uh, <laughs> egg? No. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, we talked about earlier about, like, certain people are just not neurologically cut out for that. But also, like, when you hit a certain age, uh, yeah, just, you gotta play to your strengths. And I think, yeah, I, I wish Yarvin the best of luck. I mean, I think that, you know, he runs the risk of attracting some possibly mentally ill women with, you know, because a lot of mentally ill women read NRX. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should get into that, but because uh, I don't want to, you know, insult any potential female fans. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's certain risks. But basically, uh, I think he's doing a very sensible thing. And I, the guy, I think he lives in San Francisco still, right? I think so. So that's not a place to try and do any of this. I mean, that you know, L.A. is bad. San Francisco is probably worse in terms of yeah. trying to date. So I think it's absolutely reasonable to the same way that, you know, a lot of us have taken to finding friends essentially online. You know, why not? So I wish I wish Yarvin the best of luck with that. Uh, it was kind of funny because when we even before he put like the, the ad out, he had started writing a few gray mirror posts about dating um, and I, it was right when I first started reading this Hartiste book. So it's kind of fascinating to read them back to back. And I mean, I was struck like, yeah, I'm a little bit more like Yarvin than I am. Yarvin joins the manosphere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, the, the way he thinks about relationships and, you know, um, there's, there's different angles, uh, which maybe that leads to another point, which is that like, uh, I think that Hartiste is a certain kind of genius and there's a lot of brilliance in this but overall i think that he is mostly just talking about a certain ideal of alphaness which can be very very effective the same way that someone like bap you know describes a certain ideal of being a you know a greek god on earth or ma mike ma you know in our last episode he describes this way of being in the world uh, yeah however you describe it but it's it's some kind of exhaustive ideal in ma's case it involves hyper-specific dietary restrictions, but neither here nor there. I see. I view Hartis that way. He's someone who's laying out an ideal, an ideal that can be can be aspired to sometimes, that you can observe, sorry, absorb certain things by osmosis from reading about. But overall, at the end of the day, um, a lot of us are going to be more like Yarvin with his blog post. You know, we're... Well, I, hopefully, like ideally. Like, you know... Ideally, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have Yarvin's, uh, you know, poll, like... Um, but I mean, yeah, a lot of people like you know, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Like you can't game, and if you're not Yarvin, like yeah, you put out a blog post and no one reads. That's that's not going to work. So um, I hate to. No, yeah, I don't mean to, to put down Yarvin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I just mean um, that Yarvin. What am I trying to say? I don't. I think that his strategy will be effective. Oh yeah, it's just that it's it's not super overtly alpha it's 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 something much more pragmatic yeah. and i guess that's part of what i'm saying 
all of us at some point may and Horti, in, again in the relationship chapter which i've just gotten to in the book in in there is a softer side of Hartis' vision that comes out in his chapter on what he calls relationship game or long-term relationship game when you're reading the book earlier you very much get the sense that um that Hartiste is against, almost against long-term relationships. He is actually against marriage, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, you know, he, he's. Uh, you get the impression that the only thing he views as suitable is being this Tony Soprano slash Don Draper type, who even if they're in a marriage or a long-term relationship, has tons of uh, mistresses. And to an extent, I think that is what Hartiste recommends. But once you get into his section on long-term relationships you realize that he actually does have very good advice for those as well. And there's a place in his worldview for people who are married, for people with kids, for people in long-term relationships. It's a little bit like that chapter we talked about in Mike Ma, where he talks about the beauty of women not on birth control. It's a similar vibe to that, where it's like a softer side comes out. And you realize that, uh, similar with his sections on sex as well, you realize that um, he's more than just a woman hater, and that there is very life-giving nourishing side to this advice um yeah that's a bit of a tangent well but, I, I don't uh, think basically... it, it is a tangent i think the actually introduces one of our you know principal takeaways from this which is that he in a sense Hartiste is teaching conservative men men who are more traditional and you know tend to hold women on pedestals and maybe that's not the state in the conservative world today but it was maybe more like 10 years ago and um he's teaching them to be more um uh more realistic in the swallow the hard truth pills it's like both conservative men and liberal men Again, in the con maybe average conservative man is more red pilled now, but in the context of like 2012, 2011, 2012, it's like both sides needed to swallow more truth pills. Yeah, uh, liberals needed to be oriented towards, uh, you know, something higher that, that you know, conservatives have, so to speak. Uh, but a lot of conservative men had their own and still do have their own um, kind of blindness and pedestalizing of women, and they need to be oriented towards something lower toward the baseness Something. of women and men, the baseness right. of sexuality, the degradation of the world. And if you can like, and, and I think this is to an extent, the, the value that Hartiste is bringing to relationships and to, you know, men in the world is build a familiarity with degradation build yeah. a familiarity with licentiousness and then in the manner of Jordan Peterson saying that you can't be a good man until you are first able to be a monster you can't no, be a absolutely. good husband until you were first able to be a Lothario able exactly. to exactly yeah and yeah um which is a it's almost like a cruel point that like you have to be able to be something else to be, you know, it is exactly that Jordan Peterson point. Yeah. And it's also exactly the point that Bronze Age Pervert makes in the end of Bronze Age Mindset, which is that, you know, we have to familiarize ourselves with the underworld, with the filth of the underworld in order to bring about something new. And the image 
you know, it, again, it's it's semen. It's it's you know the the sloppy. <laughs> this is fucking gross. <laughs> it's the it's the the mess of that, but that come is the root of all life. It's that dynamic we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's the primor primordial energy is neither bad nor good. It's primordial energy is neither oriented. It, primordial energy is not inherently um, oriented towards greatness. Uh, and it, in and of itself, that primordial energy has a Dionysian or thonic reality to it that can actually, you know, is, is part and parcel of the filth of the world. But if you can be in touch with that and master it and master that power, you can use it to ascend and to be oriented towards greatness. And I think that that is th the fundamental contribution of people like Hartiste to the quote-unquote right-winger conservative movement, which they are associated with, and w where people like Ma and Bap, who have an upward-lifting vision, they come from that tradition as well. And to me, this is the the, the no-bullshit uh, contribution of, you know, frog Twitter, whatever you want to call it, to, uh, to the current state of culture, is um, what Hartis describes in a memorable, one of the most memorable passages in the early section of the book, um, which is called Why Do Conservatives Pedestalize Women? And he describes how, um, you know, he how, he describes how a lot of conservative men sort of uh, come from, you know, extant families, you know, with, with parents who are still together and therefore have this, like, pedestalized view of women, which you still see from a lot of conservatives like the Drehers, the Vermeules of the world, you know, Bat makes fun of them. And then he describes how, uh, you know, liberal democratic men are more likely, you know, they're, they're cucked in so many ways and they have no great vision, but they, maybe they have, maybe they're from a broken home. Maybe their mothers, you know, he, he put it, puts it crassly, but it's like, maybe they had a mother with a revolving door and they have this better sense for, you know, the nature of women. If I had to guess, I would say that Hartiste is probably from a family of divorce, but I won't even speculate upon that. Yeah. Um, and his, his message in this section, why, and he uses a metaphor, which I will state in a moment, uh, you know, why do conservative <clears throat> men pedestalize women from this book is that he wants to bring the hand of, um, you know, liberal men familiar with the degradation and filth of the world towards the crotch of conservatives <laughs> oriented towards order and beauty and greatness. And I think that's what Hartiste's contribution um, ended up being. I think that he found a lot of men who have, you know, what you call conservative or right-wing values. And he said, look, you're going to have to swallow these hard pills. You know, you, you're, we're no longer conserving some 1950s reality where, you know, you can preserve the chastity of the women in your life. Like, that fight is over. It ended 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. And, you know, that fight is over. There's nothing to conserve. What we have to do is build something new. And in order to build something new, we're going to have to tap into that primordial, messy energy and you know that's the starting point of all things um and i think that is the that was what was picked up by people like bap and people like ma and that is how you differentiate someone who's like a really good poster or con contributor to the scene from someone who has less value i don't i'll just go for it i don't want to dunk on this person too hard but i will nevertheless go for it like that's why Nick Fuentes to me is not that interesting because basically he's just, you know, he's based, but he's basically an older type of conservative. You know, he started like a Buchananist youth 
so to speak, yeah. uh, with America First. And that they've, you know, Groyper Wars, there's some good stuff there, but it just doesn't get to the fundamental heart uh, of what, you know, was very magical and effective about, you know, the original Trump movement. And you can look at the difference between an older, you know, branch of social conservatism and the kind of new emergent right, you know, more based right wing as, uh, you know, the answer to the following litmus test. I mean, it's statistically shown that everyone from teenagers to young adults to probably even people within marriages are having a lot less sex than they used to. And it's a bit of a litmus test. If you think that that is a good thing, it shows that you're kind of part of the old union between a certain stuffy kind of social conservative and a certain kind of anti-sex feminist. But if you're like me, and I'm sure like you, and obviously like Hartiste and Bap and all the rest, and you recognize that the reduction in the degree to which people, even people who maybe they shouldn't be having sex, like teenagers, at the same time, it's fundamentally a sign of life that it does happen. So the fact that that is going down yeah, um, yeah. really tells you something. The reduction rather... in, in sex, I'm definitely not in favor of. This, uh, right. this is not a good <laughs> development. Uh no, it's a, it's a sign of the the waning uh, health and power of the West. So even though, yes, underage, or I shouldn't underage, we'll in this context. We'll but uh, of course, of course, even though, um, you know, people having sex out of wedlock uh, obviously has potential negative outcomes, uh, it is nevertheless a bad thing when we see, you know, sex rates go down, especially when it's along with marriage rates, which are obviously in the toilet. Um, and I mean, this is a very bad thing and, and, uh, it's a bit of a litmus test, like whether you think that it's a good or a bad thing that people are, uh, fucking less. Um, I don't want to mischaracterize what the Rod Hers, what the Ben Shapiro's of the world would say. I don't necessarily think they would think it was a good thing that people have less sex in this day and age. Um, but I do think some of those conservative thinkers, okay, you know, Ben Shapiro's of the world, Rod Dreher's, yeah. you know, Trad Katz in general. You could even look at Roosh V's recent turn a little bit as being a little bit like this. Um, even a lot. It's not, like it. Yeah, yeah. It's not so much that um, they're not necessarily saying, you know, that it's a good thing that sex rates are going down. But it is very, the emphasis is very much on um, the sort of Benedictine option of it all uh the sort of retreat back to um you know your own communities be them orthodox yeah. christian or jewish communities or what like uh very much a sense of like look the the broader society is going to shit the relationship between the genders is going to shit but at least we can have you know our little enclave uh, of orthodoxy um a but, retreat a, yeah, a benedict sort of option if you will <laughs> yeah i guess you could say yeah it's a, yeah because it's a, it's a beta, beta option, option. <laughs> because it is sort of there is a beta element to it you could look at it that way it's a it's a you know a way of it's not engaging alpha. less yeah it's 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 a it's a retreat and it's a way of engaging less with the broader cultural battle so to speak but um what people like Hartis kind of represent in this again with this metaphor of bringing the hand of uh, degraded liberalism toward the crotch of order and beauty oriented conservatism that you could view that um, hybrid uh, as a way of being engaged on, on the broader kind of cultural 
Battlefield. Uh, exactly. Um, sort of like what we talked about with Maw as well and the accelerationism of it all. It's really being willing to get dirty and get in the fray of it as opposed to the simple retreat. Yeah, it's, it's leaning into the chaos as opposed to running away from the chaos. Exactly. In terms of the, on the point about uh, degradation, a familiarity with the filth of the world, but also oriented towards something higher. Um, there is a, a corollary, not corollary, but like an analogy or, or something related to this in literature, which is the relationship between uh, Marquis de, the Marquis de Sade and his writing and Romanticism, um, where you have uh, Romanticism as obviously an orientation towards beauty and, and you know and grandeur, um, but Sade is the Sade is sort of a post-romantic, a, a, a romantic in decay, so to speak. Um, and he, you know, writes about, uh, you know, filth and degradation, obviously, and needless to even say, sadism. <laughs> um, so there's, in terms of this notion of bringing the hand of, uh, you know, de uh, degraded liberalism towards the crotch of greatness-oriented conservatism, um, the, the literary dynamic there is uh, the one that's at play uh, between Romanticism and Desaad, um that people like Camille Paglia write about. Um, these things, the exaltation of beauty on the one hand and the reveling in filth on depravity on the other, um, they are, they're two sides of the same coin. They, you know, they're apparent opposites, but they are part of the same continuum. And the decay that, uh, you know, one can tra trace from Rousseau, who's kind of a, not a romanticist in a literary sense, but a, you know, a, a romantic philosopher uh, to decide uh, gives us an insight into human nature as um, this play between, um, you know, reveling in filth, but on the one hand and being oriented towards beauty on the other. And in that, in that sex section, I keep referencing that Hartis writes about, it's a section called the most exciting sex. Um, he describes how he's only able to look at women as either angels on earth or, 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 you know, dirty sluts that he wants to go down to the pit of sin with. And uh, that, you know, that sort of shows saw the saw, uh, not the sides that kind of shows Hartis's cards a little bit as, as this sort of uh, Saudian figure. Um, and yeah, again, anyone with the book should do themselves a favor and read his descriptions of what he calls sex positions, which are actually basically ideas for creating, uh, very strange sexual scenarios. Um, and, uh, I just say that to illustrate, I guess, the more literary side of what Hartis is saying here. And I think the literary figures of today, you, you really can't ignore the, degraded side of life that in order to be a good and i mean this this applies beyond literature this applies beyond um you know game it's uh, in order to be a good husband in order to be a good um writer in order to be a good politician even you have to have a knowledge of the degraded aspects of life and integrated into a integrated into the greatness of your vision and a vision of greatness mm -hmm. that ignores the degraded will be overcome by the degraded it will it's a be a faulty foundation yeah yeah you you need to mix some of that mud into your you know foundation 
and you know exactly yeah yeah and that's like and that's why we we love tacos is writing because it mixes in you know sex and like like you know de- degraded sex into visions of greatness visions of love and you know compassion and and that makes the greatness you know greater Hartiste, in some sense in that passage you cite is one of the uh progenitors of the the red brown alliance if you will because he is talking about bringing conservative men to uh the you know you know, the liberal or the crotch, the you, you know the fucking metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And afterwards, going out to the bar to slay and to to get laid. Yeah. And who were doing it? Conservative men and liberal men together, united by their natures. So he, you know, in, in a weird way, and I don't think it was his intent at the time. He probably you know was in a different era. It was before this, but it prefigures. A, a recognition of the fact that we um, we have certain universal desires, regardless of whether you're what side of the spectrum you're on, the political spectrum, and and eventually the spectrum is it's changing. It's not gonna it's not red left right red brown so much anymore. It's you know it's pretty soon one day it's gonna be based in cringe. It's going to be red-pilled and Mm blue-pilled. And that's when we're approaching a red-pilled, blue-pilled America. And I I think that's maybe a good note to end on, Matt. Yeah. No, no, pretty pretty much. Um, We're we're, um, approaching a a unique political uh, realignment between the base and the cringe. And we're we're very happy at <laughs> yeah. New Right to be uh, representing, if we do say so, the based, and uh, giving yes. the base the platform to um, express themselves. And we have some great guests lined up who are going to do that. Surprises, uh, but surprises who you will know, and you know you'll be like, oh wow, I really wanted to hear that what that guy had to say, um, and you're going to hear from a lot of people. Yep. Yeah, we're we we run an episode in. We're already getting you know requests to be on the show, and we're scheduling out through October, November. So, um, very excited for what's ahead. Yeah, uh, Yarvin, come on the show for sure. <laughs> <laughs>